How's it, everyone? Welcome back to the Words Work Speak podcast. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Poison City Brewing. These guys have four fantastic beers. Every one of our episodes, we drink their Durban Poison beer, which is known as the Cannabis Lager. There's sadly no cannabis in it to all the stoners out there. What they plainly do is they replace the hops with hemp. There's no THC. It doesn't get you high, but it does have a nice warm feeling in your tummy. Mm. These guys are Durban-based. Love the beer, and I love the fact that it's from Durban because I'm proudly a Durbanite. And yeah, so thanks out there to um, to Graham Bird. Really appreciated the sponsor. And yeah, on to what we're doing today. So today is our first official episode with a guest. Um, last week, you would have had us breaking down sort of the season and the podcast and why we started it. So yeah. super cool to actually bring some content to you with someone on it besides the two of us harping on about how we've started a podcast which i think has been the majority of the last yeah. six months yeah um christian managed to hook it up i think with you at the help of your your teacher you shared a teacher yeah um at school i first came across him at varsity when i saw one of his videos called the melbourne train ride um and then some usc fighter shared it and said that there's like a african woman stuck inside this white dude um <laughs> And that was how else to start from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that's how he started. Um, since then, he's doing a whole bunch of um, stand-up shows all over the world. Just after recording with us, he went over to the states and to Canada, um, and did some shows there. Um, now I think he's planning to do some in Oz. Um, but yeah, his name is Kevin Fraser. Um, for those of you who don't know him, check him out on on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And we'll provide all the links in the description of the video. But a super funny guy, but also we had a really good chat about sort of social media and how it's changing the world. I mean, because he wouldn't have had the opportunities that he's had if, if it hadn't been for Facebook, you know, and the likes yeah. of people sharing stuff. Yeah, so, but the fact that it's also a double, double-edged sword, so yeah. there's also the downsides yeah, yeah, too. Yeah. So we go quite in depth, way deeper than I thought we were going to go. Yeah. Um, so I really enjoyed watching from behind the scenes, um, and I think you had a great chat with him as well, so... Yeah, and oh. I'm sure you guys are going to enjoy it too. Yeah, I'm sure you'll enjoy it as well. So without further ado, episode one of Words Would Speak. What's up, Kevy? What's up? Hey, firstly, happy birthday, my man. Thanks very much. How's it been so far? Well, at this stage of your life, I think you just get older, hey? <laughs> <laughs> and the morning, how's it started for you? Pretty much just got ready, came here, and yeah, not having this beer, so thanks very okay, much. Cool. It's Welcome good to breakfast. <laughs> um, bro, just as we were walking through here, we had um, a couple of the guys really pointing out to you. One guy saying, I've got to chat to you, my hero. Yeah. How often does this kind of stuff happen, bro? Because a lot of these guys must be providing you with some really good content. Yeah, some more than others, especially when it comes to some of the ladies. I mean, I think, um, you know, because I, I do have a a larger female fo- uh, following than okay. I do males, just the way it, it happens. Uh, so you get some fangirls that like really go out of their way. But I haven't actually had someone be like, you're my hero. So that's pretty cool. Okay. <laughs> like I actually feel useful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, no, that's cool. It happens often though, like especially in, in South Africa, more more so than than overseas. Yeah. But I would say in places like the UK, it happens. So if you get guys overseas coming up to you, yeah, like, you're kidding yeah. me. I, I had a guy in Melbourne thing. actually like walking, like he was telling me the one day. This was like even in the beginning when I started doing this stuff, and he was like telling me. Then he like walked past, and he walked, and I was like, this guy's gonna mug me. Hey, yeah. like the South Africa came out, and I was like, this guy's gonna <laughs> yeah. mug me. Then he stopped in front, and I was like, ready, and he was like. Dude, are you Kevin Fraser? <laughs> and I was like, yo. How do you know my name? <laughs> Just ask, ma'am. Don't. <laughs> and you haven't had girls like jumping in front of cars or stopping you during workouts to. No, no. Um, well, I've had. I've actually had people like people in the gym like kind of like follow my workout like around and then they they kind of then find the confidence to come up to you and say something. And I always find it quite interesting. always the same kind of response. Or the same kind of question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, although I had a girl in Seapoint actually like a few weeks ago and she was like, I was literally in the aisle, one of the aisles and I was getting eggs off the shelf and she was like, oh my God. And I was like, and I just like, I'm holding like this tray of eggs and she's like, what are you doing here? And I was like, I'm buying eggs, love. <laughs> like I'm a human. Yeah. I want some eggs on toast. Like, geez, like. So some people just can't believe that you're a normal person and go to the shops. Yeah. But I think it's that they see you on camera all the time and then it's like to see you live. I think it's, yeah, yeah that's how they feel. Uh, I live in Seapoint as well. And I'm not going to lie, like maybe six to eight weeks ago, I was running and you're running past me. And I was like, I feel like I need to do something to provide this guy with more content. Should I shout a word? Should I do something? Just so he's got something to talk about when he gets home. And I was like, <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I didn't I love end up that. doing anything. Because you do. I mean, you thrive with observing situations and people. And um, <clears throat> a lot of people ask me, they're like, how do you do it? Like, you know, you need, when you have to build content, make your videos and travel the world. And it's like, I feel like you get onto like a, um, a sort of attract like you get traction as you as you go and then going into new countries is a whole new set of events that help you think for example like when i went to hong kong last year september i i had a whole show kind of planned like what i was going to do for those couple of shows but i was quite nervous because it's a new market and i've never performed there but when i arrived there in the first two days i had there everything that was happening around me was what became my show because oh, okay. I was like, this is just gold, like all my observations. Yeah. And then the locals kind of appreciate it because those that came that were local kind of go, oh, he's like looked into our local culture to use in his show. And now we, we find it relatable. So so now you're going overseas for quite a big trip too, just North the US. America, yeah. Okay. And so are you going there with that kind of mentality because you have your stand-up show, but mm. are you going there with like, cool, I'm actually keen to get a bit more content while I'm there? Absolutely. Like, like last night, actually, I was thinking because, um, I'm doing something like 20 cities across Canada and US. Uh, so it's very daunting, but it's a lot of planning. So I'm finding like my actual itinerary is harder to plan than, than I'm like, Oh, the shows, but then it's actually the, the geography and the travel and all these like micromanaging situations for yes. all those shows. And because of all of that constant planning every day, there's been a lot of stuff that's already come up and I haven't even got to the country, you know, things like driving on the other side of the road, <laughs> getting a license in certain states have different um, requirements for you internationally. Then there's just like dealing with 
Americans as far as their the shows and the venues go yeah. um in each state you know i mean i remember like i i rocking my south african sim card and i'm like i'm on my my essay number here i'm like you i must make a phone call to the usa it's gonna be like nine grand airtime that's like that's gonna go <laughs> nine. so i phoned this lady in dallas um in texas because you know i organize a lot of my own shows I was and ask. and i phoned this lady and she was just like it was just like a long pause and I'm like sweating at the brow. I'm like, yo, bro, my money's yeah. going down on this phone. Hey. And she's like, uh, well, if you wanted to have a show <laughs> with us in Dallas, what are you going to, I'm like, could you speak faster? Man, like I know South Africans, we speak very fast. So we get things done, but like she was chill. I'm just like, we're like, whoa. Yeah. And then she was just, and it was at that moment when I realized, I was like, yo, I'm really putting myself in the thick of, whatever this is and that was at the time texas so so do you already have a following in the states that you're quite confident with or have you just booked venues and are fingers crossing that guys are there for it i'm 50 50 so i have an audience um more so in canada i mean there's there's i have a south african expatriate audience all over the world but i i use the word like southern african because the the amount of zimbabwean um, namibians and zambians and god kenyans and mozambicans and swazi like that have come up to me overseas and they're like they enjoy my stuff it's like so i use the word southern african in the states in canada yep more so in canada but the u.s i have pockets of followers everywhere but it's a kind of a toy toying with uh getting your existing followers to come um forcing yourself into the new market and getting them to bring their friends along as well as Gen- generally trying to break into the US and I find that you know no one else is going to do that unless you just just do it so you don't have a manager or anything you just kind of sorting this out yourself I do have um I have a guy that I work with closely on like consulting and yeah. and and helping take some of the load that I have to deal with on certain tours and things which is awesome to have that uh but I to manage every nearly everything myself that's awesome um i don't know whether it's because i'm a control freak or whether i just love to be involved in the organizing of it too and i think if if you build yourself a system like any business if you build yourself a system of okay well this is a blueprint for how this works more or less i'll bend it a little bit here for certain markets then you'll make it work yes and it's not that hard i mean with how well connected we are these days i mean there's nothing you can't do really yeah Mm. And how was your first show you ever did? Tell me about that one. Yo, that one, hey? I look back at it now, I'm like, really, bro? Like, <laughs> really? <laughs> but you have to start somewhere, I guess. I, I planned my first show ever in Perth, WA, yeah, uh, Western Australia. And uh, that was because it was the largest South African market yeah. that I could resonate with in Australia because I was living in Australia. And how long ago was this? This was in 2014. 16 the beginning of 2016 and what a lot of people don't know is yeah i legally wasn't allowed to leave australia because of my visa i had to stay in the country so it was quite weird so i was like okay well let's do these show things because that's what i want to do so my first show was in perth and i booked this massive venue god it was huge (laughs) i was like dude i'm so famous already let's do like a 750 seater um i almost filled the front row um and no i'm, I'm, I'm joking i'm joking. <laughs> joking it was packed i had like people at the door um no 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 i had 300 people come and i was like so stoked like yeah. but i also hadn't had this mindset of like from the business side look 
choose venues that you can pack out and then yes you know and then don't get too ambitious from day one but i was just excited you know and, and i had 300 people there i couldn't believe it i was i would have been happy with 50 honestly and i thought let me do a show in perth because if i bomb i can just if you're like ah it's perth it's fine like they're so far away like we can just go yes. crawl under a rock um so you're, sorry it, so your first show was overseas it wasn't in South Africa, no, yeah, it was, it was in Australia, yeah. And that must have had that must have been quite a lot of money to get together for <clears throat> to put a venue, hoping that everyone would arrive. Yeah, I mean, I didn't make any money. Let's put it that way. Um, honestly, it was more uh, like a test of um, whether people enjoyed me doing stand up. You know, because prior to comedy, I've been a DJ for about ten years in South Africa. So I started DJing here. Then I started playing with um festivals and doing really big parties so i know what it's like to perform in front of twelve thousand people that kind of level yeah and 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 dj but to do comedy was a whole new game but what i did find from that first show was that the same sort of emotion applied like like the emotion you go through as a dj in in selecting music and reading the crowd and feeling the yeah. the vibe and which way you need to go is the same kind of emotion that you have to apply when doing comedy and trying to read the crowd and understand which jokes are going to come next and that sort of thing so that was pretty cool to like observe and feel that difference but like when you walk on stage and then everyone's like woo and then they go quiet and they're all sitting in a chair yeah. like not drunk or lit like at a festival like rocking <laughs> yeah. to like David Guetta I'm just like yo hey now I have to entertain these people for an hour and a half with jokes so I immediately fell into this like storytelling kind of format where it was almost like I suppose it's almost like Kevin Harty yeah. kind of thing where you're telling real stories and you're getting passionate about that and people people are laughing but I was obviously when I look back on the DVD I was notably um nervous i was very nervous and shaky and um yeah but then with practice i knew it would change so but after the first show did you leave going shoot i actually i want to do this more yeah i was on such a buzz i was like yo but this feels so good like no matter how awkward it is to like watch back on the footage or how it's gonna be awkward like yeah people were so supportive and they were like no we love your stuff some people were like you know when they gave the reviews in the first they're like oh but like what about some of the stuff from your videos and i always explain to people you're gonna have a different experience watching my videos than you are when you do a live show yeah because yeah that's the thing stand-up comedy is so much different to 100 percent doing a selfie yeah. video exactly and so like that must like was that practice for you was that something that you yeah. used to i mean so was video as well i mean like that's that's taken me it took me so long to get the confidence on a camera like i mean think about it you're in your room or you're in the toilet wherever i do my videos and you're just talking to your phone i can't feed off my phone's energy like i can try it's not gonna happen unless yeah. i'm like mentally insane but like to 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 create like that confidence on on camera takes it takes practice. So I had many videos that I'd like kind of done, um, and then I was like, no, I'm not putting that out. Yeah, and um, just just try to appear more natural. So the same thing applies with when I was doing um, going into stand up. You just have to find. You just have to find your place after after a bit of practice. But I still do I still do my characters and my impersonations and all my accents and thing in my live shows. I I just I get a bit more real with my audience. I think that yeah. that's a bit different because it's live. You know, you you can spit in someone's face accidentally. Like you, it's real. It's it's yeah. It's a different experience. Do you have like a number of characters? You're like, cool. I've got 
Barbara the black woman. <laughs> I got like Jason. The, <laughs> got Chad. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, um, I actually, yeah, I was counting the other day. I mean, I, I do. Because you basically split. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got, well, there's obviously just me, like me being Kev yeah. as I am, which, which is, which is this. And then there's, um, because naturally I say when I'm not doing accents and things, I'm very like sarcastic. I'm very dry. Um, it's actually something I struggled with in Australia for the first couple of years, you know, because South Africans are so good at going out and like having chat, uh, chatter with someone and you're having chatter. Um, <laughs> and, like I can throw something at you that's very sarcastic and you'll capture that straight away. Yeah. Like we actually don't realize how, how quick and, and good we are like that. And, and I, and I feed off of that. So that's a very South African thing to have, I think. And, and Australia, they didn't seem to get a lot of it. Like initially, it just seemed to go over their head. And I struggled with it because I found it frustrating. Um, whereas Aussies can be very crass and, and almost like it's just, a different type of humor yeah more like sort of i gotta choose my words carefully because um i want to say it's more like sort of um like it's fine we can be simple humor. <laughs> like simple humor you're like everyone in australia is gonna hate it. uh but it is it's like a simpler humor and it's not that not that that's a bad thing it's mm. just that's how it is because of the, the the lifestyle of how aussies have grown up um and it's not their fault. Everything's perfect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you need a lot you, of fat. <laughs> yo, that's a fine. And um, yeah, but like, so so out of that, like I've assessed the Aussie culture and you have like the sort of Sydney city slicker kind of type. Yeah. And uh, they'll be like well-spoken Australians, especially the women. And they're like, they try and pronounce everything so well. So I think there's definitely a character in there. Yeah. Uh, there's the Bogan culture, which a Bogan being like, an Australian or person anywhere really. Cause like they'll go overseas and be like, you're such a bogan. Who's like, I'd say like middle, middle class, doesn't earn too much money, puffs on a ciggy all day, you know, wears their slippers to the spa, uh, and their trackies. And where for me, that's normal. I'd do that, but it's bogan in Australia. So yeah. it's like, it's a very interesting culture. So you'd find a lot of them redneck kind of vibes up, mm-hmm. happening up in North Queensland and stuff. And they'll often speak like this, like they got so many fucking issues in their life and they just don't know how to fucking handle things. So, um, and sometimes I just meet a bogan. I'm just like, you have no idea with life <laughs> at all. And they'll live on the government support system, you know? Yeah. So you have your bogans in like Sutton and stuff in the UK. And yeah. like, they're also that rough version. So I'd say I could do a good handful of characters across bogans and city slickers, so to speak, within Australia yes. and the UK and then South Africa. I mean, you've got your Santon mommy, you know, and then you've got like Cape Town where it's just like the Republic. And, um, <laughs> you know, and then I've got like my African culture. In here. So I'd say like, yeah, I'd be pushing 20, 30 odd characters Come if on. I had to give it a go. Uh, but the one that resonates <laughs> <laughs> the main for one. some reason... <laughs> And people ask me, like, like, how do you do it, whatever? But, you know, for me, on my everyday, it's like, my mother tongue, I think, is is this inner, yeah. ch- channeling my inner African woman. <laughs> and a lot of people were were confronted by that when I first started doing this. Yeah, you know, a lot that, of people were like, wow, this guy is, like, yeah. super racist. Yeah. Right? And I'm like, I'll, ex- I'll accept that that 
people just throw things at you because if you look around the media and you see what happens it's mm. i just go whoa you the one that's decided that though you've come to that conclusion that's what i have to say to people that say that i'm like i just happen to be a white guy that can do this accent almost better than you can so <laughs> let us address the elephant in the room <laughs> No, and 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 I've hardly had to fight it to be honest, because I have a, a diehard following that support yeah. that, and they've always jumped in. And I think in the beginning, King, I I accepted it and said, you know what, you knew, yeah. you've popped up on people's YouTube's and Google and Facebook, and like you've gone viral with these things. People are gonna attack you. They don't know who you are. So I think through doing now what must be two hundred and something videos, I don't even know how many I have. Uh, I think people have gotten to learn about me as a person yeah. and as just as a, a general character and they've gone, okay, this guy is like, this is how easy. Yes. <laughs> you know, and like I said earlier, like reverting back to my mother tongue, like it's just this, like I'm, I'm just as African as the next person. Like how am I not? Like I was born here. I grew up here. I was raised here. I had my gogo Anna who was like a second mother in my home yeah. who disciplined me, who taught me things. So how am I not, how am I not like African, you know? So, and the last year and a half, I've been very, very uh, excited and happy to see that uh, I do have an impact now with, with a South African black audience. And they love me like girls and guys. And, and you kind of like the glue holding every kind of, Verge, like every kind of society within our yeah. country together. And I guess when you start things, like I started a lot of things in my life with the objective of like this, or this is my mission statement. Like I started a whole like business company plan when I moved to Australia. And it's like, that's all good. And that sits there, but it's amazing how the thing that resonates is the thing that you didn't plan. And yeah. I think that's exactly what you said is that I, I seem to have like, brought people together across cultures in in a way of just everyday humor and at the end of the day you've got to listen to what i'm talking about about in my my videos and the way i'm saying things it's like i i'm I'm just talking about everyday stuff i'm just delivering it with different spices you know whether i do a durban indian like guy from phoenix or an indian mother of 15 kids in umschlanga or a santan afrikaans woman who can't even reverse her car at the garage or some of my african women personalities or men so it's just a delivery you know i like to think of uh eddie murphy as one of my my biggest influences you know okay, i watched I his his stand-up from the 80s which was rough and raw and you could probably get a, away with a lot back then but yeah. like look at that guy when he's in like big mama's house and these kinds of movies and how utterly like immersed you are in that character i try and deliver that so it's like acting i suppose i'm trying to deliver that but without dressing entirely up uh, as that character, although I seem to be going that way now with all these black blankets on my head. Yeah. But Mrs. Doubtfire, there you go. That's what's here. Mrs. Yeah. Doubtfire, I'm like, like, you just, like, you fell in love with her, but then you're like, dude, it's Ron Williams. There we go. I guess good. Yeah, that's me, eh? Is this in your Beatle? No, no, no. This is in, uh, this is in Australia. This is the beauty of travel. You get to drive like 100,000 different cars, eh? <laughs> Tell me about cream culture, because I see it everywhere. Yeah, so cream cream culture is, is my brand, and it's um, essentially it's it's my events brand, but it's uh, it's 
sort of delivery is on a clothing label, like an activewear label. And yeah. I sort of started it as something that spins off what would be like the cream of the crop, right? So the the performer's brand. And it kind of has a sad little story in that like when I was in school, I I never had like rugby skill or cricket skill or tennis. Like I tried every sport and it was quite weird because my father was like, he dominated. He was like first team everything. Oh, okay. He was like, killer. You took your like he was side. an absolutely, absolute champion. And I'm like, Dad, I can't even catch a ball. <laughs> so I think that upset him for a while because you know how like every yeah. father like kind of wants their son like boom like following their footsteps kind of thing. And like I was like, it's just not gonna happen with rugby. Like I gave the ball to the other team. Like you know what I mean? I was like, just go score. Like I'm not. I couldn't give two shits what yeah. happens at the end of this day. And I'm watching all these dudes get so passionate over this game. And I probably would offend a lot of people, but it just wasn't for me. Yeah. But the moment I stood on stage in school, and I I, I did like a talent show, and I directed my own plays. What did you do in the talent show? Um, I did I did like a quieto dance thing with my friend. It was actually quite epic. It was my friend Sandra. She's now at the um, doing film in New York, which is amazing. Oh, right? great! But we we were like um, yin and yang in high school, and we did um, this this dance talent contest. And I remember we had this whole thing planned, and then we had this um, music piece added to that. And I just took it and made it like my own with Sandra, but we were like feeding off each other. But like, we just got so in the zone, we didn't realize that the entire hall was in a standing ovation. And like, it felt so good. And I was like, that, that is something I like to feel. Yeah. And it was like, we just looked at each other and we were just like, wow, that's, that's epic. So that were in standard, um, I mean, grade eight, I don't know what the standard was. Is that five? Um, were you, six? Are you old enough to be a standard guy? No, 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 I'm not. Oh, okay. I just use that to sound cool. <laughs> but probably probably doesn't sound that cool. Probably just sound old. Um, grade eight, yeah. So it's grade eight. And um and then from then onwards I was like, no, we did these things called house plays. And um Always a drama fan. Yeah. I mean, I think that's how we got connected through Melissa. Yeah, through Wood. Melissa Wood, yeah. So she was actually she was my drama teacher in those early years. And I I just fell in love with her like style and just the way she, I just like, I wanted to skip geography and maths and all these classes. Like I just wanted to be a fly on the wall, like in her classes. Cause yeah. she was like vicious yeah, and like, passionate. And I was like, she does not take shit. I was like, I was like, she could, are you sure you don't want to be a drama teacher? Not like, yeah. you know, the head of like disciplinary department. Cause I feel yeah. like, yeah, she just, she really like commanded her space and like people respected her. Like that didn't even do drama. And I was like, to have that impact is powerful. So when I walked into those classes, I, I was immediately like, like wanting to like try this drama thing because I was then taught by her how you get to understand and channel your inner emotions and how important it is. So people think, oh, you must do drama just so you can be a performing artist. No, do drama just to succeed in every area of your life. And then when I started doing those plays and stuff, I, I really felt like this was now my sports yeah. field. So I'm not going to do rugby. I'm not going to do cricket. I'm going to do this drama thing. I'm going to act. I'm going to learn. I'm going to perform. But through my career up until matric, I realized, wow, 
there's like next to no budget that gets allocated to arts and culture, performing arts and drama and stuff. Like the sports always get it. And it's like, I get it. And people say, no, but it's, 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 it's rugby. I'm like, yeah, but this is drama. And like, this is like, this is entertainment. Yeah. Where's the money for this? So I got very like, upset by that and i was like i'm gonna start my own brand one day that like actually speaks to performers like yeah. my own sports brand my own sports team the players are performers your ballet dancers your actors your freaking acrobats like anyone that feels that they're in this entertainment game like they have a place and that's where cream culture was born the yeah. performance brand and i had this intent of building an active wear label around that is there significance around the actual name yeah, so cream culture was like uh, it was. It, it extends to if you can just find a photo up there with like the logo, or yeah, right. that'll be a bit embarrassing. I'll just have a swig of my beer. <laughs> well, that'll do. So cream cream culture, there you see, it's like cream of the crop was where I was going. I was like, I want something that's the best of the best because I have this okay. obnoxious view that like entertainers are the shit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and it is, it's a very, ego oh, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> the one on the road. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's classic. So like, let's be honest, like in entertainment, there are a lot of egos. We are egotistical and narcissistic yeah. to a certain degree. And I feel that I wanted to play off that. So, we were really hoping to see oh, something sorry. in the women's section. What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we're working on that. Um, <laughs> so, cream, cult cream culture was basically off the cream of the crop. And then I changed the C in culture to a K because it was this like lame little idea of Kevin putting the Kevinness in the oh, culture. Okay, cool. That'll and it actually sense. just looked better, yeah. like, uh, you know, just to twist it up. And then if you look at the A, the magenta pink, it's a very like holistic brand color. The pink has a lot of meaning when you, when you do your research. And if you flip it around and invert it, it's actually the number seven. Okay. Yeah. Cause you're born on the seventh. Yes, Happy and there's birthday. actually seven different divisions in the company that, for the long term, I hope to achieve. Yep. And there's, if you look at the dice tattoo on my right arm there, there's actually um, seven dots on each dice, and they're uh, each a different color. Lacquer. And that is the symbol of the brand. Just roll with it, you know? Just roll with it. There's seven different key divisions. I won't explain what they are, because then... You know, you need to have some surprises for the future. Yes. But yeah, it's weird. Like a lot of people actually ask me about it and it's, it's something, it's like, it seems to be a brand that resonates with people. So I'm quite passionate about getting it going. So, um, yeah. And how was, how was school for you? Cause you, you speak about finding your passion within the arts and the culture, but because that isn't rugby and because your dad would always, always hope that you'd go in those footsteps, no matter how well you did in school, how'd you feel? Like, how was your self-confidence levels? How was your self-esteem? Um, I wasn't confident in school. Until you got on the stage. Until I got on stage. I I was very, like, reserved, especially with women. Like, I was just this, t like, tiny kid with acne. And I was pasty. And, like, because I didn't do... Were you from Hillcrest? Kloof. Yeah. Okay. It's a little village. <laughs> I really was. I was from this little village and um, I just didn't have, 
I didn't have the confidence. And because, like, I had my friends and they'd, they'd have the sense of community within, like, rugby and cricket and their sports, like, I was really envious. Like, I was really yeah. jealous of, like, of what they were doing and, and, and that sort of thing. And I was like, wow, these guys. And then, you know, afterwards, the boys would go for beers and, like, have all this thing. And I'm just like, I'm just going to. I'm just gonna read this book on on Shakespeare. Um, <laughs> you see, Macbeth is doing a thing. And it's like no one really cared. Um, <laughs> so I found the confidence on stage, but then I think when I, I I first started getting a bit of respect for it, and I was yeah. actually at the end of grade nine, I think, and I, I'd actually been called up for junior junior half colors. This is quite a thing. I, I'm actually recording here. Um, I was called up with junior half colors in front of the whole school and I was really embarrassed to like go up and get that award because I was like, I was, it wasn't cool. Like, you know, it was just, I was arts and culture and drama and that kind of thing. And, and being a teenager, you go through so many like, you know, emotions as it is and puberty and stuff like that, which I only hit when I was like 25. But, um, (laughs) I, (laughs) I did go up and get those colors and, and when I was leaving the stage, like my whole group of friends and my, my support system that I thought weren't supporting were roaring with laughter and they were like, they roughed me up and they're like, oh, Kevin, I felt really good. I was like, they actually do like support me, like as much as I get tuned and teased or whatever. Like I'm actually really supported by these dudes. They were they were proud. It was the first something that I got, and I and I got a little bit more respect for them. And and I think that gave me the confidence to then go cool. When I went into year ten and eleven and twelve, I'm just gonna command this stuff. Yeah. So you accepted I, it. That's I, who you exa- were. That's who I am. Like don't like like why you know these people. What is that old saying? They say like people try like uh, no. There's this, I'm gonna get it right. It's uh. It's a it's a lot harder to try and hide the person you are because you never know who might love the person you hide. Something like that. Yeah. That was so true because then when I made it my own in those senior years, it's like I, I walked right into the stage where I got re-awarded my junior colors twice because I wasn't able to get my senior colors for drama because I was too young. And I was and and I was upset by that, but my drama teachers were like, "No, you you need to understand like that's a good thing." And then I did get my senior colors rewarded. And then I got what was called the Cope Drama Cup, which was like basically the cup that you could get. So to actually like stand up there when like people were getting Sportsman of the Year trophies. And then I had a Cope Drama Cup, which is bigger than some of the sports (laughs) trophies, might I add. It's physically bigger. Uh, I was like, yes. And then they were like, you need to return the cup because it belongs to the school. I was like, shit, why couldn't I go to private school? Hey. Like I worked like five years to get this brass. Now I must just give it yeah. back. <laughs> and then, so after that, you went into DJing. So how did that whole transition happen? Going from performing arts to kutums, kutums. Yeah, well, like DJing kind of started when I was 16, actually. Like, because um, my parents were like, cool. Now that you're like getting older, I think I was like 15, 16. They were like... Um, we're going to stop your pocket money soon. So you need to have a plan B and being a waiter and that kind of thing. I was just like, yo, I literally worked at a Chinese restaurant for about 25 minutes. And then I saw the chef put his fingers through the mince machine. And I was like, I'm still trying to recover from that. And that was about 16 years ago. I'm still scarred. And, um, 
But anyway, I still eat mints every now and then. <laughs> and I was like, I literally like threw the saucer down. I was like, I'm out. But my listening skills have always been like a little bit terrible. I'm I'm not the the greatest listener. I'm still working on that. But like, I say that because I'd go up to people to get their food order and I just would blank out. I would just start looking at them and be like, oh my God. Like I'll start finding something on them there and I'll just be like, wow, that's that's an interesting jersey or something like that, you know? Yes. And I, I think all these things because, and that was the drama and the actor and me coming out and be like, I just want to rip this person to shreds. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, and then and then they were like, cool, so could we get that? I'm like, I'm sorry. What was, what was that? So I would be so nervous. I'd go tell the kitchen, okay, look, they want a wonton soup with a side of garlic bread. And they'd come out and be like, yo, I literally ordered the Cantonese beef, eh? And I'm like, well, you should speak up when you order some shit. Like... So I realized this is not for me. Yeah. But every day I come home from school, I would cap my parents' internet at like, because we used to get like a gig a month in 2006. And like, I'd, I'd cap the internet and my mother would freak out. Ah, the bloody internet's capped again, Kevin. Sorry, it's because I was the don of downloading sick music. Yeah. And and every bit of spare cash that I got, I'd go to Musica or look and listen and I'd listen to like jams and I'd buy a CD like cuz the CDs were a thing. And like, you know, like and then like now I would come out with like a 3 a 3 CD disc. Yes. And like I'd be like cool and I'd always have the latest jams. Like and then and then I thought like well, I should be a DJ maybe. Like that that sounds cool, but I actually took my home theater system with four speakers to a friend's party. And I was mixing from DVD player to DVD player because that's what I had. So those days it would be like you literally turning music down and bringing the other one up. There was no like beat matching and that kind of technical ability. Yes, It was just like crossing over without John Edward. And the thing is, I, <laughs> I, I did that and I like rock, I seem to like rock this party. <laughs> Sorry. A lot of people don't know who the fuck he is. I'm just like, he was legend on SBC3, but I don't know. Some people had open time. Um, and then I I realized, I was like, oh, people are like, oh, you know, like we'd love for you to be at this party. So then when people started wanting me there, I was like, well, now I must charge. So for a while I was mixing DVD player to DVD player, charging 20 rand an hour. And then I went to my dad and I was like, look, um, can I sell some shit in the garage? It's looking rather classy. So my dad was like, cool. And he rounded up all the stuff that he thought that I couldn't sell. And I sold everything within the week and anything I didn't sell, I took it to Cash Crusaders and then I got money for. I took that money and I bought actual DJ equipment. And that's when it started. And then as I started earning more money and getting better little gigs around the highway area, so yeah. to speak, then I was able to upgrade my equipment until one guy one day was like, um, we're going to offer you your first club gig or whatever like monitored and whatever and i was so nervous like i was how old are you i was shitting i, I was 16 yeah Kidding. so i had to have like a thing signed so i could play in the club and what club was it it was orba in hillcrest okay cafe orba none yeah it was um an institution for many it's au Bar, I think it's two uh, B A R R and then none, just as in none, and yeah, no, not like none, as in like ooh, uh, I've like never the lady had dick. or the um, <laughs> <laughs> just saying, closed, yeah, <laughs> it's it's closed, it's been closed for about twenty years, 
but but it was an institution and it really yeah. was and it was such an institution in in KZN people used to travel from the bluff and from Yellowwood Park and from the north yes. north coast and it's like not a chance that is it um it looked it was like that but like a whole lot shitter um but it was and it, it was it was a beautiful time to be alive i mean they, they said that about 3:30 you know back in the day and and i have no doubt that was a time to be alive but like it was dance music at its finest and it was like a really it was really really um a popular nightclub for some time so i got in there and then and then i never got a gig there like ever again so i played there once and i blame that on the dj uh, who had an ego there he was just jealous that i was gonna you know out outward out last i'll play him <laughs> well at least that's what i like to think because i'm confident now uh but i then got offered when i was a little bit older a gig at the infamous 54 nightclub in durban in pinetown actually and that I still stand as one of the best nightclubs I've ever played at because it was freaking massive. It was 40 rand to get in and they had free drinks from 8 to 10 and so if it was packed enough music. they'd actually do nights where they extended it to 11. So can you imagine paying for 40 rand aka $4 to get into a nightclub that has free drinks on house spirits for 3 hours? and then charges 25 rand for a 54 iced tea which is like drinking out of fountain mm. after that it's no wonder we used to leave that place absolutely paralytic and still complain i can't believe you closed free drinks early <laughs> meanwhile we're so lit is that is that the kind of audience yeah and and people i mean it was a place there were always like a lot of fights and stuff but they had some of the most awesome artists that like played there fresh and euphonic used to hold that place down It was a really cool time. It was when like Father Fem was actually cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was. Like Gareth Cliff was holding down the breakfast show. Roger Good was doing the Saturday surgery. Fresh had the fresh drive. Um then Sasha Martinengo was I don't know, no really cares because he he was a pedophile, but um <laughs> the <laughs> I can cut that. I leave it in. Fuck <laughs> um And they even had like Rob Vemba and everyone's like who's Rob but like he was cool and they even had Grant and Anelli. Like yeah. it's like everyone like the whole family was there. So do you ever think you'd end up playing on a radio station like joining a radio station or I've thought of it like I thought it would be cool but then I don't like the you'd idea. You'd be really good on a you radio so? station. Yeah, I mean it looks so natural now. <laughs> I've thought of, I thought it would be cool but my my issue is I love to travel. Okay. So it's like I can't just like can I take the SBC with me like if I was on 5 FM, do you know yeah. what I mean? I uh, I want I want a setup where it's like you can take it with you or maybe you have to get a broadcasting like I don't know, maybe you could teach me. <laughs> yeah, maybe you could have a podcast, man. <laughs> get a podcast going. Yeah. I mean, that's what it is. Hey, that's it's like it's like this and then but do podcasts all have video attached to it? No. no. That's just your edit. So it's like a podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with beer. <laughs> yeah. It's like um what do they do in the UK the boiler room stuff? Have you seen that? Yes. Where they record the yeah. DJs like playing live in this like intricate little environment. Yeah. You know, we have um you know uh, Jamie Saint, Jamie McNeil? Yes. So he works for my company. Mm. So he we have a TV where guys can go play what they want and he's always playing boiler room stuff. Yes. Boiler room, yeah. I mean, there's so many ways to do things, and, and I mean that goes back to the yeah. conversation we were like having. Is that it's like um, there are so many ways to 
to just like do what you want to do, yes. whether it's it's video and all this. Like I had no idea this would happen. So like, what happened with the the DJing? Look, by the way, when I I was chatting to someone saying, "Yeah, I'm getting I got Kevin Fraser coming on tomorrow," and they're like, "Um, the Spin Doctor." I was like, "Who is this guy?" <laughs> <laughs> Spin doctor, how did that come up? Please. Knowing how to spin stories around, which, by the way, like uh, if I might just ask, what was it like climbing Mount Kilimanjaro? Oh, is that from what? Brackets. Look at Lime's corp. Is this a sensitive one for you? No, I did. I just, just spin like, doctor that shit. I yeah, just turn it right back yeah. to you. That's a, in a nutshell. Um, when you climb it, you generally have to take almost it's called like oxygen pills that that increase the amount of white white blood cells in your body. Right. And um, when you get to the base, or like on summit day, you end up at this base and they check your oxygen levels. And if you below seventy percent, you're not allowed to climb. And so I was seventy one. My dad was in seventy five, and everyone else was on like ninety one, ninety two. And I'm like, Dad, why don't you pack the oxygen pills? He's like, no, I see guys doing it without it, so it's fine. Like, they, they was worried about the side effects. Yes. And long story short, the last 200 meters took me three and a half hours. Like, I take three steps, fall over, get back up, three steps, fall over, touch the top, left, vomited, left half my body up there. Then, dude, on the way down, I like, maybe 100 meters on the way down, I collapsed. And literally out of the mist this doctor comes and like we're the last guys to reach the top because it took us so long out of the mist this doctor comes and british guy young dude doing his not their articles they're like hours or whatever it is and he came and he put some adrenaline decks some decks of something which mm. boosted me but i don't know if it was the decks or the lack of oxygen but the guy said he's like said to my dad he's like he got a son here who's he's overexhausted. He's got water deprivation and oxygen deprivation. If you don't get him below four thousand meters by the end of the end of the day, chances are parts of his brain are actually going to start shutting down. Jeez. And we at five thousand six hundred five thousand six hundred meters above sea level. So I got to go vertically down like one point yeah. six k's, which is enough of an issue trying to go horizontally. So. So long story short, you should have just come down. Yeah. Or shouldn't have gone but, bro, down. But the whole way down, yeah. I hallucinated. Eh? Like I went, I went through Vegas. <laughs> I was like walking between baby elephants, Loch Ness monsters. Through Vegas? Yeah. Oh. In the hallucinations. Oh, I was like, is Vegas near Kilimanjaro? <laughs> I was like, fuck. There's a few things. Vegas probably has like a mini Kilimanjaro. <laughs> yeah, I know. But that was hectic. And to wood, I'm not going to swear on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you how'd you cru- <laughs> how'd you cruise out of the dj the dj environment for i me? hope you're not getting my massive fucking cigarette burn on camera hey i'll have to like fucking it's not chlamydia it's literally yeah i was wondering what it was burn. when i shook your hand it's kind like, like, like yo mm. hey i'm gonna get some other shit after this <laughs> burn lit hey no, it's like one of those smiley efforts, but went wrong. Um, I do crazy stuff when I'm lit. So <laughs> I suppose it's all funny at the end of the day. What was your question? Uh, about your DJing. How'd you, cr- how'd you move out of that environment into making videos for a living? 
I it's it's an interesting question because my girlfriend is a DJ and she's she's unfortunately she's a really good one. Um shot. Shot. <laughs> um no, I'm just teasing that, but she is a good DJ, and I, I, it's actually embarrassing because like I've been seeing her playing like this one, one time. I was like, let me just like let me yeah. show you, you know. <laughs> no, boys, I like, like let me just like show you a couple of things, yeah, and like how we how we do, and um and she's like cool and she's patient. She let me show, her, and then like she completely like schooled me like out there. She's like doing all this wicky stuff, and I was like, yo, I'm just gonna take a seat. Hey. <laughs> but when you're done, let's fucking go because that turns me on. Anyway, so just saying, it's it's it's. It's interesting, and I say that because, like, being at some of her gigs and, yeah. and like, taking a backseat and watching her perform, I'm like, wow, it really just, it's, like, nostalgic for me, and I, I miss it. I yeah. miss playing, and well, I... But why'd you stop playing? You know, yeah, it's, that's the thing. It's, it's, it, it got to a stage for me before I immigrated where I was finishing up some of my last festivals and, and those gigs where I was actually being more animated in my in my sets so i was a lot more vocal on the mic i was dancing a lot more and engaging so that could be like next level djing i suppose which is kind of cool but i was getting bored with headphones on and like missing that that next step of interaction with an audience like i wanted to like like see their response and engage i didn't want to just see them like rocking and 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 like getting like off to the beat with like all lit and stuff and there's nothing i'm not downplaying djing i just think that it's uh that's actually a good one okay i nearly fell there i nearly i really that was you know that that's a perfect example actually of of how i was really just in the moment and probably a few tequilas down um but <laughs> when you're there and you're at the, on that moment, it's, it's, it's amazing, you know, you, to, to have all these people come out and the love of absolute house music yeah. and house music being my favorite thing. And that guy, Jason, playing there, it was, it was incredible. Like, I miss all of that. But I, for me personally, yeah. I just feel that my responsibility was a step further. I needed to make people happier on a laughter level. Yeah. And, and connect with people. And I've always made people laugh throughout my life, but I've never had my friends be like, ah, oh, you finally like make a career out of it. Like, it's not for them to decide. I get it. But when I did do a couple of video rants in the beginning, the Melbourne train ride being my very first video, it was that came off the back of me having a frustration the frustration being like i'm struggling with immigration my friends miss me back home i miss my friends back home and they're all like why aren't you fooling us in on your life i had like i went blank on social media for a while and i had my little spin doctor that was my dj name my little spin doctor page of a couple thousand people and like i wanted to fill them in but nothing was gaining traction anymore so i did this video of like me in bed like talking about a train ride that i had and i'm in australia and I go to sleep because I'm nine hours ahead and I wake up the next day and I had like two and a half thousand shares. And I think that's the original one. Yeah, the original. And like two and a half thousand shares on that Hello, video guys. and like 23,000 views on my actual fan page. I can't get a seat inside the train because it's rush hour. And I thought to myself, Jesus Christ. When I got inside that train, 
I honestly thought to myself at that moment, I could actually fit inside a jar of peanut butter better than I did inside that train. I was very unimpressed because I could not read my book. What is going to happen when it starts raining? If people are coming inside with their umbrellas and they are taking the train, down, and it's going to get What is that? That's what I want to know. The second one. It was the same video, chopped at a different time, because I wanted okay. to get a sense of chaos. Okay, you got that. There was this American, and he walked in the door, and he said, All you people are going to have to move a little bit to the front. Fuck, that was funny when he did that. I probably must go. What do you want us to do? Please, there's not even space for your ass on this train. So I don't know where you want to put these people. Okay, we all just gotta cooperate. Cooperate with what, my friend? Where must we go? Can't you see? I'm already sipping this guy's coffee. I'm already smelling aqua fresh next to me over this side. You want me to get closer to what? And yeah. people went off. So how 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 big did that video end up getting? Well. The funny thing is, and that's the beauty of the internet, is you can't control what's going to happen. And I woke up to 23,000 views on my personal profile, my, my, um, my actual Facebook profile, not a page. 23,000 views, which was like, I mean, this is early 2015. I mean, video has also come a long way in the last five years, right? Yeah. And it was like, by my definitions, cock viral. Because I was like, yo, like... You know, I'm so used to like posting a, a picture or an event on my Facebook profile, like I'm going to be here and like 40 people engage with it. No, now I'm having like thousands of people. And then I just looked at the comments and stuff and everyone's like, you're so funny, Kev. But these are all my Facebook friends and their friends. Yes. That's the community. And then people were like, my mates were like, oh, please do more, please do more, please do more. So I was like, oh. Like what? Like I'm still at that stage of confidence. Like doing a thing like that was hectic enough. I didn't expect that. Hence me being lying in bed, about to go to bed. <laughs> However, there was a guy. Um, I'm pretty sure his name was Anele. Um, oh, I'll, I'll have to to correct if I'm wrong. But no, Demarte Pena. Uh, it's very different to Anele. <laughs> I know. I know. It's Pena. Now he is from, he's like a UFC fighter. Like, if he's got a Facebook page, just try to find his Facebook page, right? So oh, this. Oh, this guy, yeah, of course. Demarte Pena. I yes. actually think that I need to find him and be like, you've made me famous. Okay, so uh, this guy. He was the champ champ. Pull up a, a picture of him. I, I actually, I actually um. haven't fully. I haven't actually fully given this guy credit because okay, he found my video this is quite surreal and he's on facebook yes yeah, so go on to his videos and he posts other people's videos and stuff but he he found my video of that that we just played and he's like he titled he ripped it and uploaded it and titled it haha or something this guy's got um an african black woman stuck inside of him <laughs> look at that one point that's the one. This is the original. I just got goosebumps. Okay, it was a different one. It was the one I did afterwards. Like a sandwich. She's against the tomato. This woman, she got inside the train. She stood in the middle with her handbags and everything. She was not holding on to anything. Then I said, hey, sis, you're gonna learn today. This is express. It's going to go very quick. 
as the train pulled off. This lady saw her ass like you can't believe. She dropped like it's hot. If you're not gonna hold the pole, then make sure you get a big balance, eh? I said, I told you once, I told you twice, I'm not going to tell you three times. The second thing that happened, eh? I just heard this around me, and I thought, Ish, is there a squirrel in the train or something? This poor little schoolboy, he was pissing blood for his nose, and I said to Jesus, what happened now? Hey guys, I need a tissue, and this guy has got too much issue. I must actually just commend the passengers on the train, because the amount of tissues that I managed to collect, I bet you I could give Kleenex a run for their money. He's fixed his nose now, so... We don't care about that anymore. This was really what pushed my frustrations through the roof. It's been a hot day. I'm a little bit sweaty. This guy, yo, Lulu, he walks onto the train with his bicycle. Getting on the train with a bicycle, that is like taking your car on a boat. It doesn't make sense. Pella, you've got wheels. You must use them. Anyway, so he brings the whole fucking bicycle onto the train. It must stand on its wheel, which makes 10 times more the problems. You're not in a circus. You're not riding a unicycle, yeah? Don't come play clever games here. I said, my friend, that chain must touch my new jeans. That chain must touch me. How many carriages I walked to get myself a clear space? This guy, he had about the sum total of three teeth. Uh, he decided that he must strike a conversation with me because I don't know, I don't think it's got talk to me written on my forehead or something. He was shaking his legs like Timberlake at an idol's concert. <laughs> I can't engage yes, in the conversation with somebody who is now spitting their pie in my face. I just had lunch. Yeah, funny snack. I said, my friend, I don't need pastry. So that was what, what you call a bogan tripping out on the train in australia you see there's a lot of like sarcasm there like i don't have the some like um talk to me written on my forehead and stuff you know yes. what i mean and i feel like that's something i struggle with in australia with what i was saying earlier where the sarcasm goes over a lot of people's heads because a lot of people say to me they're like oh but like aussies and, and americans or brits like they won't get this this kind of humor so they, they do like i see irishmen doing a rant and i, I think it's funny because their their accent is just funny yes. people do find that some of my accent just funny in itself and but it's what you're saying yes it makes a difference but that demate penna guy like i actually need to like give him credit because he you know that got 1.2 million views and when i got hold of that at 10 30 was it 31,000 shares i was like oh my god i got nervous i was like i've like like a lot of people have seen this and like what are they gonna think like i'm a white guy doing an impersonation like how's this yeah. gonna go off we're like we're at a time where Things are so politically um, correct. But that is what I believe made me go viral. They're like, this guy's just saying it how it is with a innocent impersonation uh, and appropriation of a black South African woman. And Demate had put that out. And so what I did was I started reading the comments obsessively every day for a couple of weeks because it was going more and more viral. You know, I've seen it go from a few hundred thousand to 1.2 million. And there was one particular comment there where this guy was like, oh my God, where's his next show? I'd pay to perform this guy see, to perform, uh, to perform this guy see. Um, <laughs> <forget>. <laughs> and the lap bulb uh, just went. Yo, I performed to pay, pay I, <laughs> money to be wishing yeah. this guy alive. 769,000. <laughs> <laughs> 
and Savendi. Did you ever see the one where Zuma was like, like, um, <laughs> he was like, uh, fuck, what did he say? He was like, uh, Africa is the biggest <laughs> continent. <laughs> Separated by, not even separated by a river. <coughs> you, you can't divide it into half or quarter. It, it is what it is. <laughs> Yo, I'm tired. This guy is like so freaking funny. And then last night I'm looking at uh, Airbnbs in LA. And I'm like, now I'm having to stay like a thousand kilometers outside Los Angeles because it's so expensive. No, it's fine. And I'm looking at this, this one in Venice there by Santa Monica and I'm scrolling through. I'm like, no, it's fine. It's only $300 a night. And it's like hosted by Zuma Housing. And I was like, you bastard, you are everywhere. Eh? You got your fingers in Encanta. Now you must come chill in Venice and Los Angeles. So in case you're wondering why we have load shedding, I think it's because all the money has gone to Los Angeles. But <laughs> housing. Yeah. No, what were we saying before that? So we're saying like, so that was your first step towards like after that 1.2 million view video. Yeah. You're like, and then did the light bulb go and you're like, you know. Yes, then I, then I created a Facebook page, Kevin Fraser Official. And I made, because Facebook's still pumping and I'm like, I'm going to create a Facebook page. I'm going to put my things on there. So I posted that page link onto my personal profile and onto my personal first Melbourne train, train ride upload as a comment. And I had like two and a half thousand people like my page like instantly. So Spin Doctor yeah. had to take a back seat immediately because yes. I've been fighting to get a few people. And this was when I was like still confused. I'm baffled. I'm like, what? But how is this working? Then I started uploading videos. And then I was like, you know what? I'll do this every Thursday. I'll do this every single Thursday on Facebook and YouTube religiously, no matter how good, no matter how bad. And I just started getting traction after traction after traction. And I watched my page climb. And the one day I woke up and I had 13,000 new likes on my Facebook page. Was it like, like a specific video that like, also did? Yeah, it went viral. And I'd get like four or 5,000 page likes overnight. Not to talk about the likes and the comments and the shares, but it was the sharing and the sharing. And I was like, this is like now, like I feel like I'm at the casino. Like I'm gambling because I can pay to promote myself online, and you know what it costs to invest thousands of dollars to to promote yourself and get that kind of traction with your followers. Yeah. But now I'm just doing content and sharing content, and it's like a game. I was like, can I do another one? And can I do another one? And then and then get more and more page likes until it got to a stage where I was pushing like fifty fifty thousand uh, on Facebook. Yeah, and now. In 2019, it's it's at a what is it? Yeah, 120,000, and and then Instagram's become a thing, and and YouTube and stuff. So it's incredible, and I think it's just to to then have that realization of like creating content that makes people laugh and make people makes people happy at the end of the day is and what why important. Why, sorry, why are you pushing it more on Facebook than you do on YouTube? Is there a reason behind that? Because that, you had that initial following from the get-go? I had the initial following from the get-go. And you just kind of also have to go where your community is, I think. And everyone uses Facebook. Mm. And I could almost say everyone uses Instagram, but there's still a lot of people that don't. Um, and I'm actually pushing Instagram now more than ever. 
okay. um, hence the the smaller video content i think you just have to go where the market is i think the youtube community is always there but for the style of video i do um versus what the youtube com- community thrives off of i think i deliver a different product at the end of the day i'm all about awareness and and getting to be in people's face in every way possible so yeah i'll still push it on all those channels but if i'm in your face all the time then there's awareness so that when it comes time to do live shows and live performances then i sell those tickets and some venues have not understood why i sell out certain shows and i think it's because of the level of like awareness that i'm able to create yes engagement with the crowd so yeah are you still doing that every Thursday, or are you? No, it's it's such a it's such a mix. It's 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 because the demand is more like I think people ha- are are wanting stuff every day if they could. So I, I instead of going through like a four minute five minute video that I initially did every Thursday, I'm doing shorter videos more often, especially on Instagram. But I've also like I'm having more moments and the confidence now to do stuff. So I just have a lot of content that I can put out there. So I try and put stuff out as, as often as possible. And yeah. do, you, do you struggle with, now that you're known as the funny guy, do you struggle with guys taking you seriously? Like whenever they see you, it's like, oh, that's the funny guy. No matter what mood you're in, you're the funny guy to everyone that's mm. around you. Have you struggled with that? Um, no. I think, yeah, like people, I, I think it's, I haven't struggled with it, but when I am serious, even in my like, in, in my relationship like when there's those moments of serious, it's it's very like hard to for people to deal with and that's something i've had to to try and understand yeah so people like like if i'm gonna get serious or emotional about something or angry or irritated which i'm human i do get uh, you know people are very like fuck like they don't know what to do with kev now because or how to behave because they're so used to me being that way because that's my role that's how i am it's my job but you know it is like sometimes it just gets exhausting having to be that way but i think people can see through all of that stuff a lot of what i do it's an act to a certain degree but it's part of who i am and my personality so i'm just being me and i think maybe that's why I've, i've hit a button and i've been able to resonate is that people can see that i'm just trying to be me um although in some cases it's an exaggerated version um and that sort of thing but um yeah i know otherwise it's i mean especially in my live stand-up as well i do go through like a motion of like craziness and then high energy this music dance kind of vibe and then i get real about stuff because i also want people to see that i have a like a purpose and a, a social responsibility and things that i'm aspiring towards especially when you're growing your influence you kind of feel like you have to yeah because for me on the back end of all of this stuff is like the comments and the messages that i get like personally it's incredible like because there are days and there are weeks where you're like i really don't want to do anything now i'm exhausted like i don't want to do a video and stuff like that and someone will send you a video like i had a guy come with his wife to a show in johannesburg and they come from so far to attend the show. Um, and she'd been watching my videos. She was in a wheelchair. She'd been watching my videos in hospital for, for, for that like it kept her going. Come on. Man. She did pass away eventually, but he, and he sent me a message and he just said, I want you to know that the, the impact that you had on her life was incredible. And that made me think, don't ever be too proud or too tired to do a freaking video when I'm perfectly healthy and someone's lying there you know i've had 
people in Australia come to my shows, they're handicapped, they're paralyzed, they're, but their brain is 100%. They can't go out and do the things that we love to do, but they can sit there and watch a screen and, and, and be so happy on the inside. And I needed to see that and realize that impact so that now I just have this mindset of I have a responsibility to create content Yeah. over and over and over, you know. Wow, man. Mm. So has that almost fueled your passion behind everything? Like that's mm. your purpose. That's what you're going out to do now. Yeah. And I mean, people have said, you know, now you should create your own platforms and this and do this and like charge people to watch. I'm like, no, no, it's this is my way of giving back. And people through doing this, people will continue to come and watch my live shows. And and, and I think that's been the biggest impact is on people that um, I have people that have come to every single show when I go to a city and some people that will come and be like, cool, I've seen them and they never see me again. That's fine. But it's, it's people feel like they're your friend. They feel like they, they know you so well. Yeah. And it's weird for me. Cause I'm not, I don't know you, bro. Like you just came up to me and like, but it's like, yo, but they've watched you since day one. They know all about you through all your videos. They pick up how you are. So you adjusted to that. I have, I accept it. And people are like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, oh, this must be so weird. I'm like, no, it's totally fine. I get how I am for you. Let's just, yeah, just understand that the other yeah. way around, like I don't know you. So, yeah. And because I, I remember the when I was speaking to Miss Wood, where you, after you came to speak at the, sh at the school, what was your purpose when you got there? Because I know you're kind of trying to inspire kids now to, mm. to what exactly? I didn't get the whole ballpark of yeah. it. So I... I think um, something that I've learned on my travels and, and especially solo traveling, um, which I've done a lot of, you observe a lot of things. And I realize that we all are just humans at the end of the day. We want simple things. You know, we want a house over our head. We want to be warm in the winter. We want a nice relationship. We just want to be happy, successful. We need that kind of uh, gratification and purpose. But in the world today, we are, we are so connected, but we are more disconnected than ever, you know. And I feel that the likes of the internet and social media something that I've championed to my advantage for my business and using social media it's very powerful but it can also be the devil and we can create fake a fake sense of self and society and uh, people are, are very pressured by that and they've actually say that you know you have diseases like anorexia and bulimia but the, there is a third disease really and, and however we term it maybe there is a, a word for it but the social media way where people feel like they aren't perfect enough. It's, it's this like level yes. of like, I need to be constantly better and stuff. There's nothing wrong with being motivated, inspired to be better, but there is everything wrong with completely comparing yourself to the next Joe soap every single hour of the day. And I see it with friends. I see it with close relationships. I see it with everything where we aren't. And I see it with myself where you, where you comparing yourself to other people. And it's because of how social media is designed in our lives. But I think that the youngsters of today are growing straight up into this. For me, when I was young, I didn't really have that. Like my first phone was a Sony Ericsson, like this big, you know, like, and it could hardly even send a text message. But now they're growing up into it, so they don't know anything else. They think that this means this. And it's we need to teach the youngsters of today that you can put this down and you can enjoy a bird flying onto a tree and like be in the moment rather yeah. than in this thing all the time. It's just a balancing act between the two. Otherwise, we're going to grow up like having blurred all the lines and not understand what makes 
us truly happy on the inside with our relationships and our careers and that sort of thing because the lines are completely are completely blurred it's about teaching patience um, and not instant gratification which is the world we live in yeah that's just nailed it there mm. and so is your goal now to go from school to school doing this I'd love to because I'd love to just see hopefully some of my stories and my my experiences will be able to be lighthearted and funny enough because I think it's humor can be a way to deliver a point as well because you get people to listen yeah um <clears throat> and also be relatable like I'm not ancient um but like I'm I can be relatable to them and um get them just to understand their point of view and then try a few tasks for a week or two such as the challenge i left at that first speech i did which was to for the first hour of your day every day don't grab your phone and bow down to everyone else's world because that's what you're doing when you're logging onto your instagram and your facebook and your social media is you're responding to everyone else's stuff you're responding to their beautiful holiday and so no one's gonna post you know the fact they woke up with like half a tooth or something and you know no one posts the bad stuff but the moment you dive into everyone else's world like before your feet touch your own bedroom floor you've like you're feeling crap and yeah. people have a, a hard time admitting that but they do They're because of this comparing and i need this <clears throat> and i want that so i found that especially having t- spoken and dealing with really wealthy business people that I'm like, what? And, and older people, and I've done a lot of this in ours. It's like, what makes these people happy and satisfied? And it's the, the amount of, of responses I've had that are all to do with when it's giving back to other people. Like, that's so much more fulfilling than, you know, you get a new Range Rover and then a couple of weeks later, it's like, okay, well, I've got that. But we're spending a week with some less fortunate kids. That's more fulfilling. Yeah. So it's just trying to understand that. I mean, we all want nice things and to do nice things, but it's that balance between the two. Yeah, for me, it's like earlier this year, I was dealing with like heavy anxiety. I lost my confidence, lost my mojo. And mm-hmm. I kind of just took a back step and I was looking at all the things I used to do when I was feeling in, like feeling in my prime. And mm-hmm. I've started doing it again and I'm feeling so good, man. So like it includes like I wake up at five o'clock every morning now. First thing I do is ask. Okay, I don't get do that, some. but I'm yeah. very. That's I'm cool. Very... <laughs> daylight, daylight saving. <laughs> so, so yeah, for me, it's there. I go to the gym, just try to sweat it all out, and then I come back and I sit with a journal and I just write one page down. That's my commitment: is to have a one-page conversation with me. And that was my issue with social media: is we know more about everyone else. I mean, it's a cliche saying we know more about everyone else than we do about ourselves. And as I start writing a bit more, it's like, geez, actually, I wasn't happy at this job. And that's when I decided to leave. And it's like, geez, and you know what? I don't, I don't like I don't like doing these. I don't like these kind of people. And I love doing this kind of stuff. And mm. that kind of pulled it all together. It's like, okay, so that's Christian Maidman. And I got such an understanding of who I was where I'm at a stage now where every step I take, every action I make, I know it's, it's the most present, most conscious version of me. And that's been like a game changer for me so for mm. me moving forward it's always about understand yourself first mm. and then seek to understand 100 percent, understand yourself first and that's the thing is we don't like a lot of people don't because they're so busy looking at the world around them yeah cause and effect cause and effect there's a guy i do follow on instagram i forgot his name right now but i just <laughs> do what i to look for him um oh it's like i don't even know where to start um 
yeah, he he'll he may be under there. But um he's just uh you know, just your average guy from Johannesburg, but he's if you look at his profile and you look at his photos, you'd be like, Oh, okay. Like he's probably like another one of these classic fitness dudes. Which we see on, on all over Instagram and stuff. But when you read the captions behind his photos, which are hundreds of characters long, like he must use all the characters you could use <laughs> that you can post on Instagram. And he just puts a perspective on things. So he'd have a photo up of like a guy lying with his girlfriend in bed or something. And the guy looks um, really grumpy and ups, like angry. And she looks like deeply sad. And then he'd, he'd, he'd create this story. And the story would be something along the lines of um, how he would be, we would, as guys, would be like, she's, you know, she's been doing this and this, like all this like jealousy and animosity and all these negative spillage coming out of his mouth. But then he goes, but have you ever considered that like she's a woman? She may have woken up today and, you know, today might have been the memorial of, of her late grandfather. Today, she might just not be feeling beautiful. She's really fe- And just like all that kind of perspective. But the point being that like, just to understand that a point of view is just another view that's just not yours. Unfortunately, we live that's in a world... That's a good way to put that. That I is like so... That. You know, it's all about me. So making it personal, I judge a lot of the stuff I, I, I do. I, I put a lot of pressure on myself to achieve a certain amount of shows in a year. I judge myself. I've judged myself uh, off of how well videos are done as to how good I am as a person. It's, it's natural to do that. But own it and accept it and be aware of it. But then just understand how it might be seen from another person's point of view because yeah. there's someone else that's watching myself going like, fuck, I want to be like Kevin Fraser. That's so cool. Like, how great does that make you feel? So don't downplay yourself now because you're actually someone else's inspiration and understand other people's point of view. So whenever I get into ruts and moods, I go, why am I in this mood? Why am I feeling this way? And I go, okay, I acknowledge I'm feeling this way. Is there anything I can do right now to just make myself feel better? You know, for example, if you just, you're feeling like you need a hug or you're feeling like you need a bit of love, give love. You'll be surprised what comes back. Something I've had to learn. But it's because of all this stuff, eh? And do you find it easy for you to get stuck in that, in that social media hole? Because, black hole, because your presence is all online. So, it's so... I mean, you, you tell, you're telling all these high school kids spend less time on your phone and because you have to spend time with your phone, do you end mm. up slipping into that void? Mm. For me, how I try and preach it as well is saying, okay, cool, there's um, uh, the last few tiles up there, like the last few days. A couple of those videos are from way back when. Um, the pink one there with the Playboy binding that was structured and planned. And then the other one was a rant the other day. Which so, one was the rant? Um, just the latest one. Um, Isn't which, that your birthday one? Oh, you got to yeah. watch this mark if you haven't seen one. So, He's going to do it for us afterwards. See, because for me, when I laugh at this stuff, it's, it's, it's not out of vanity. It's out of, I'm thinking of the character. Yes. Yeah. And someone That's actually doing that. Yeah. yeah. But it's, yeah, it's interesting because... Wait for the bum, yeah. 
(laughs) 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 Gotta do it. Because like... (laughs) What I try and say to people is like, put your content out there because that's your job. That's my responsibility. So my responsibility every now and then is to put something out every day or every week and put it out there. But don't get now locked in and going back online and reading everyone's comments and get back to it when it's that time. So it's about allocating the time to do that even though I'm always on social media. Allocate the time to do that and then we're good to go. Management. Do you you still take like (laughs) bad, do you still take like those bad comments to heart and the ones that are... The, the negative kind of stuff? No, because I've I've had comments that are that hectic that I'm like, okay, can't get much worse than this. Even in the positive yeah. things, like when a guy tells you that he'd very much like to drink my bath water. I mean, it can't get much more flattering than that. <laughs> um, or when someone tells you like, I dare you to land in South Africa, like I'll kill you. I'm like, dude, I'm here. I've been here for a while. I'm yeah. still waiting to be killed and I'm still standing. <laughs> so no, it can't get much worse than that. Um, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Well, bro, dude, thanks so much for coming through. It's been so awesome to get to know you. It's the main awesome. character. Like, <laughs> real man. Through, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Bruce, you've said so much for me to think about. and It's given me such a perspective on, on you oh, yeah. and your future. And it's so awesome to see like stories about how this woman that was so ill could sit in a hospital bed yeah. and, and get that sense of satisfaction and hope mm-hmm. through you. And when you look at stuff like that, you're not just... That's not just you joking around, that you're taking care of people yeah. in a sense. And oh, I appreciate yeah. that, man. Thank you. So It's a pleasure being here. Cheers. Well, happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> cheers. Cheers, <bro. laughs>